Shabbat Shalom. I want to talk about Halloween and the spiritual realm. This is a big deal, right? Halloween is a big deal. Do you realize it's the second most popular holiday in the USA? Second only to Christmas. So why is it such a big deal? Why is everyone so involved, right? Why so much money spent on this every year? I believe the draw is related to the theme, the realm of the dead, the spiritual realm. Everyone is up on that, right? I guess you say down, right? I'm down with that or whatever. That's, that's dope. <laughs> I hear some young people laughing. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so this whole thing with Halloween and the preoccupation with the dead is what is the big draw. It's the spiritual realm. In some groups, the adherents engage and communicate with departed spirits, usually family members that are deceased. This is where we do our seances and so forth because it's the season for that. It's the realm in which fallen deities exist. Americans, they're immersed in the fascination with this unseen realm. The dark side of the spiritual realm is very popular in our culture as evidenced in Halloween's love affair with what? Ghosts goblins, demons, and death. Today, we're going to take a brief look behind the veil at this very real realm of dark powers and wicked spirits. In fact, I feel a series coming on. Maybe we'll make this kind of our 2022 uh, spiritual warfare series, right? Because it's all about spiritual warfare when you think about it. So let's talk about the reality of the spiritual realm. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll look at the, the first, I think, four or five verses here, um, probably one or two today, but we'll carry it on next week. Start in verse 10, Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul says, there's a war going on. You have an enemy out there. He's pursuing you whether you realize it or not. He has plans to take you down whether you're aware of it or not. Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God so you can stand against the presence of this evil one. It's a very dark and evil presence in our world. In fact, we see him showing up early in the text, Genesis chapter 3. He goes by the metaphor of serpent. He's the serpent, right? He's not a literal serpent. This is a metaphor for a glorious but fallen immortal being whose craft is lies and deception and whose goal is to usurp, corrupt, and destroy God's creation. He's been here long before our entrance in creation. And his destiny at the end, the lake of fire. His hope is to overthrow the kingdom of God and escape his punishment. He is the Lord of the dead. He is the Lord of the underworld. 
what the Bible calls Sheol, or in the Greek, Hades. Sometimes it's translated as hell itself. Not the lake of fire, but the realm of departed spirits. He's also the Lord of many other fallen angelic beings. He's organized them in a rebellion against God and creation. And his goal, of course, is a violent coup d'etat of God's rightful rule and reign over creation. He wants to be God. He wants to rule over what God created. Think about that. Think about the universe. 14 billion years, a universe so vast we can't even comprehend you know, the time travel it takes from one end to another. It's just, I put that up on my Facebook. If, if you're traveling at the speed of light, I forget how many trillions of light years it takes. We can't even comprehend the glory and the, and, and the magnitude and the intricacies of the creation of God. It's, it's, and here's the serpent wanting control over all of that, wanting to rule and reign over all that. And of course, he has to dispose of God and his kingdom in order to do that. And that's what he's up to. That's been his plan from the beginning. This is the dark side of the spiritual realm. This dark side interacts and interfaces with our natural realm. The two realms, the supernatural and the natural, they interface. They're interrelated. They interact. We can feel and even see the effects of evil, sometimes in our lives, certainly in the world around us. And Halloween is one of those dark holy days you know i've been corrected on that they always say don't call it a holy day call it a holiday it's not a holy day no actually it is a holy day holy just means separate for a what spiritual purpose yeah it is a separate day for a spiritual purpose among the pagans it's holy unto them our days are holy unto god so it is a holy day in that sense but anyway Halloween is one of those dark holy days that is represented as fun and games, but note well its main themes. Ghosts, goblins, demons, and death. Now that's somewhat like um, lightened up and presented in a way that's fun and attractive, but you have to ask your qu- the question, why? Why? Why is death fun, right? Why, why is the realm of the dead attractive? What's up with demons that we would somehow want to play and flirt with that? Well, he's a seducer. He's going to make it fun. He wants our kids. So all of these things are like done in such a way that it draws us into it by design. I went around my neighborhood like I always do this time of the year, checking out all the Halloween stuff. Man, I just don't see any depictions of Jesus and Michael the Archangel and, you know, little kids with wings on hearts, playing heart. You know, I never see any of that realm. Isn't that the spiritual realm? How come that's not part of Halloween? How come what I see and probably what you see in your neighborhood are basically 15-foot skeletons? Yeah, I have to walk my dog on the other side of the street because every time he sees the 15-foot skeleton, have you seen those really oversized, you know, and it has like these uh, red glowing eyes that like, it has, it has like a, a gadget on it, so a motion detector. So as soon as you get close enough, like, 
you know, poor dog's just petrified, you know? Yeah, a skeleton depicting and symbolizing death, right? And then we got the 15-foot werewolves. They got blood coming off their teeth. They got blood on their claws, you know? Yeah, what's that all about? What's that trying to communicate? 15-foot vampires dripping with blood, you know? Oversized spider webs with oversized black widows. Again, it's all about misery and death. This is the theme of Halloween. Human skulls, human skeletons, gravestones. You got to have your cemetery, right? Why? That's the natural depiction of the realm of the dead. And the Lord of that realm is the serpent. That's his work. His main themes are fear, torment, torture, and death. That's what he does. We popularize it by making it fun. While what it represents is actually all around us, depicted in the fear and the greed, the lust and the violence and the death that we witness day in and day out. People, we're in a war. Do we realize that we're at war with a very powerful, dark kingdom? These kingdoms are clashing, and the war is over the souls of men and women, boys and girls. If we do not fight and overcome, we will be overcome. This is not, this is not an option. You don't get to opt into the war or out. You're in it. You're being attacked without your permission. So you either rise up, fight, and overcome, or be overcome. That's really the only options we have. If we don't rise up and fight and overcome, not only will we be overcome, so will our children, so will our churches, and then our nations. So we have to do our part. We have to fight. Well, what does that look like? How do we identify the enemy? How do we fight against a spiritual kingdom? Well, I'm glad you asked. So let's go to our next verse. Let's look at verse 12. Paul says this, Ephesians 6 and verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. The secular version of that is caught in movies like Star Wars, right? Lord of the Rings. These are, these are like uh, movies that deal with the themes of, of the spiritual realm of life and death, good and evil happiness and terror and fear. These entities have authority and power. They are not to be mocked nor underestimated in either their craft or their strength. Without Messiah, we do not stand a chance against these immortal fallen beings we don't stand a chance 
against the, the seduction, the deception, none of that. And especially against any type of actual physical interaction that can take place. We're just humans. These are fallen gods. Without Messiah, we do not stand a chance against these immortal fallen beings. But with Messiah, we can overcome them. Rebellious people, they're somewhat like these rebellious fallen angels. I mean, rebellion's rebellion, whether it's in the natural realm or the spiritual realm. Jude chapter 1, 8 through 13. Jude says, yet, in like manner, these people, speaking of a rebellious people, I've jumped early in the passage, is dealing with Israel in their rebellion against God, and he's describing those generations that were rebellious against God so that we today, when we read them, can make sure we don't fall into this same rebellion. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Interesting, huh? Blaspheme the glorious ones. Which glorious ones? What's that in reference to? Angels? Fallen angels? Both, right? Reject authority. What's that all about? Rejecting God's authority? Rejecting spiritual authority? Rejecting delegated earthly authorities? Interesting. Blaspheme. Let's look at this in the natural realm. What does it mean to blaspheme a delegated authority in the natural realm. We're talking about, let's talk about delegated authorities, okay? What are some delegated authorities? Mom and dad, law enforcement, right? Police officers, judges, employers. In the religious realm, it's your pastors and elders. So there's all kinds of delegated authorities here. But there's a certain type of person that likes to just rut against that, kick against that, rebel against that. I used to be like that. You know, when I was, when I was uh, young growing up, uh, I finally was told and explained that I was adopted, that, um, that my parents gave me up for adoption, and that I was adopted into this new family. And I really struggled with that. That's one of the basic features of being adopted is that uh, you grow up with this rejection complex. And I remember being really young thinking, what, why didn't my mom want me? You know, what's wrong with me that I was rejected? Now, that was really different than what it was all about, but that's what the enemy was whispering into my ear. And so I grew up really bitter, hurt, bitter, and angry. And guess where I redirected all that anger? Toward authorities. Because it was authorities, my mom and dad, who rejected me. So I decided I reject them. I reject authority in general. And I did. Any, I mean, I gave my teachers a hard time. I gave my parents a hard time. I gave police a hard time. I did. I just, I, if, if there was authority, I was there to clash with it. And that was not, not a good thing at all. You know, today I look back and I think, what happened to me, you know? But that's what I did. And that's what rebellious people do, right? They're there to say, look, I'll govern myself, but no one's going to govern me. 
I am my own prophet, priest, and king. Leave me alone. And we tend to reject authority. And that is the very, uh, one of their, the very um, things that resulted in the fall of the serpent prior to his fall and the other fallen angels as well. It's all rooted in rebellion. So these kind of people, they actually reject authority and they blaspheme authorities. The word blaspheme here in the Greek means to defame, to revile, or to slander. Let's look at defame first. Defame means to damage the reputation, character, or good name of someone by slander or libel. Slander is a false and malicious statement or report about someone. And libel is the same thing. It's just done in written form versus verbal. Same thing, one's written, one's verbal. But basically, it's lying about people in a way to hurt them, to attack their reputation. So, one of the works of the serpent is slander, right? Is that all around us today? Can you see the work of the evil one all around us? Look at all the lies of the fake news outlets. I mean, they are dealers in slander. They're dealers in lies and deception. Yeah, they're spilled, or filled with the, 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 the spirit of the serpent. Look at all the lies perpetrated against believers in politics. Look at all the lies perpetrated against pastors. Does anyone ever stop, by the way? Think about this. Does, every, does anyone ever stop to scrutinize the allegations? Whether they're spoken, right? Or written out on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you know? But you see, you know, some allegation against some spiritual leader, and right away you think, man, that spiritual leader's all messed up. Whatever happened to innocent until proven guilty? Whatever happened to say to, to 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 you know standing up and saying to anyone that says anything that would defame a spiritual leader to say, excuse me, on what basis do you make your allegation? I would like to dialogue with you on this. You don't get a free pass. On what what evidence do you have? Because if you don't have any evidence and all you have is hearsay, shut your pie hole. You know, what are you thinking? You're defaming, you're defaming authorities. This is the work of the enemy. What about cross-examining the accuser and or witnesses? That is not to dismiss, of course, any pastors who have abused their authorities. What we're talking about is justice. And if they've abused their authorities, there's a process along with due process that can get to the bottom of it and hold spiritual leaders accountable. But sheep need to be accountable too if they're slandering, if they're falsely accusing their leaders. Justice for all, not some. Justice for all. They reject authority. They do not submit to delegated authorities. 
they are independent, wandering around in the realm of their own autonomy. They answer to no one. Anyone that comes up and wants to criticize a pastor, I always say, well, who's your pastor? You know, most of the time they don't have one. I say, get away. You have no standing. You have no st- you don't. So you don't get to criticize when you're not even part of the body of Messiah. Who are you? Who are you? Who's your pastor? Oh, you don't have one? See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. They're autonomous. They answer to no one. They view themselves as their own prophet, priest, and king, or queen, if we're talking about Jezebel. They arrogantly allege and defame authorities, both civil and religious. Let me give you some examples of slander and libel. People who go around and say or write that the pastor is not qualified to be a pastor. Yeah, that pastor, he's not even qualified to be a pastor. That pastor, she's not even qualified to be a pastor. Really? What are those qualifications, by the way? What are the qualifications of a pastor? Look that up in your Bible. Do you realize that the pastor is a gift given by Christ? There's no list of qualifications. It's a calling. Yeah, there's qualifications. They're just unstated. Ask Jesus. Because obviously he's the one that's saying, you're qualified. I call you. You're qualified. This is who you are. Who are you to say that? A pastor's not qualified. You some kind of expert in that realm? You have a PhD behind your name in that field? Oh, the pastor's teaching is unbiblical. Really? Again, who are you? Are you even qualified to say it's unbiblical? Pastors are called. This is what they do for a living. They spend their time day in and day out in the text. And you, how often are, how often are you in the text? When I say you, I'm not talking about you in front of me in our community. You're all doing a really good job. You're here. You're plugged in. But I'm talking about the vast majority of people who, who are not plugged into a church but find it They're calling to go around and bring judgments against the church and her leaders. Most of these people say, well, pastor's teaching is unbiblical. I guarantee you they spend a fraction of the time in the text. And yet they're the ones to judge whether or not the pastor's teaching is biblical. Please. He has bad theology. Can you even spell bad? I know it's a tiny little word. The leadership is dysfunctional. What? The leadership's dysfunctional? You, you, you know, even getting into leadership, you got to have your, a number of your ducks in a row. You don't even get there without being somewhat functional. That's true in the civil realm. It's true in every realm. Just don't get how, you know, a 
person who's not even qualified, doesn't have the character to be in leadership, it's going to be the one that judges leaders. Really, is that just amazing? We live in an upside-down world. But this is an earmark of rebellion. This is what Jude says concerning that generation or those type of people that are under the anointing of the rebellious one. Again, there is a way to address abuse in the body. There's a way to address leaders gone astray. We find it throughout the Torah. We have it in the New Testament. And there's a way to adjudicate injustice in the body. But people who think they're above all that, and they can just call shots and say this and write that, and they're the rebels. They're the, they're the dividers. And, and, and next week, we're going to get in to that that area where God says, and this is where they'll be led into. This is where they end up. If you know where you're going to end up, you'll find your way out of rebellion. I did. God woke me up. I saw where rebellion led, and I said, oh God, I'm sorry. I apologize. I repent. Help me. I want to submit to your delegated authorities because I know that's your covering over my life intended for my good and my blessing. So, Michael and the archangel, or Michael as an archangel. Let's look at his example of of how he addresses um, authorities. And, And authorities include fallen angels. That's why I said earlier on, don't mock them. They are majesties created by God. Even though they're fallen, they are still authorities. And you cannot mock authority without indirectly mocking God himself. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael's an archangel. This is the archenemy, the serpent, and he doesn't bring any railing judgments against the serpent. He's very, very careful in what he says because of who Satan is. He says, the Lord rebuke you in this dispute over the body of of Moses. Michael fought with wisdom and skill. He fought to win the war. Therefore, he followed God's rules of engagement, which includes respectful and dignified warfare that rests on truth and due process. But rebels, verse 10, they blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively they tread into areas that angels fear to tread they go in bold and puffed up thinking they're know-it-alls and they have no idea that their end is slated for them they have no idea of the danger that they've walked into i've watched a number 
of people over the last 40 years. Wanderers bringing slander and libel against delegated authorities that go on to get their derriers handed to them on a platter of tribulations that are directly related to their rebellion against delegated authorities. Woe to them, verse 11, for they walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. Jude's saying they're in every congregation. Now, I, sh- I shouldn't say he's saying they're in every congregation, but he makes the case they're in his congregation, implying that this is probably true for other congregations. Because in every congregation, there's always a few rebels from time to time. Good news is, you don't have to remain a rebel. That's the good news. We were born in sin. We were all in rebellion against God until we surrendered to His grace. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of Balaam's error, perished in the Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs in your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. Shepherds that aren't accountable because they're not even really shepherds, but they call themselves shepherds. They're their own prophet, priest, and king. They're their own pastors, their own spiritual authorities, feeding themselves because a true shepherd feeds the flock. Feeding themselves waterless clouds, always promising, never delivering, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. In the next week or two, we're going to unpack these three verses and see what that looks like today in the body of Messiah. Because to speak the truth, the times haven't changed that much. The rebellion that we see in the beginning is the rebellion we see throughout human history, and it's here today too. And Paul's saying, put on your armor, resist this, because if you're seduced into it, simply put, it's rebellion, and the end of that is misery, shame, and judgment. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And even though Halloween trivializes and commercializes spiritual realities, they are real. And they do pose an existential threat to you and your loved ones. You can play with fire, but you risk being burned and maybe even consumed. I don't recommend participating in Halloween. When I talk about that, I'm talking about dressing up like a werewolf or a demon and running around and doing crazy stuff. Okay? Um, if you want to give candy to trick-or-treaters, you know, that, that's not, I don't consider that participating in Halloween, especially if you're doing that to connect with your neighborhood and, and hopefully follow up with 
being uh, a good neighbor to them, you know? Don't open the door and scream out John 3.16. <laughs> That's just crazyville, right? Just open the door and give them some candy and say, hey, why'd you choose that? That's a great question, right? Have Pastor Josh say, hey, just, why, you know, why don't you ask him, why, why'd you pick that outfit? It opens the door for some discussion, you know? And don't freak him out saying, yeah, do you know Satan's real too and he's right behind you? You know? No, just, just you know. But I don't recommend putting up all of the symbols of death in your yard and then dressing like that and going around. Now, that's participating in that. And really, it opens the door to that whole realm that's so seductive and in the end, deceiving. I do recommend getting into a Bible-believing church, getting educated in spiritual warfare, and finding your meaning, purpose, and joy in God's holy days, and also national holidays that reflect and represent good, virtuous values like life and liberty and the right to pursue happiness. So, who's your pastor? Number two, if you don't have one, I want to be your pastor. Number three, I got a membership class, so you can learn all about us. And then if you're a good fit and you like us, let's join together. Let's enjoy this beautiful but imperfect relationship that God has called us to be in. And if you're saying, well, I don't really fit, that's okay. Let us help you find another church where you fit so you can have a pastor submit and be part of the community. But what we're not going to tolerate is people coming here and forever just saying, yeah, I'm not really going to connect. I don't really want to be a member here. I just want to kind of come and go and never really plug in. I don't have a pastor because I don't want a pastor. I don't have a church because I don't want to have a church. I just want to kind of go here and there. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week, those that wander to and fro. I say, you know what? I was told when I, when I was born again, I was born again, I'm going to different churches with my friends. This one pastor says, Where's your home church? I'm thinking, home church? Never heard that term, home church. Home, what does that mean? Well, you know, a church that you go to all the time, that you're plugged into, you're committed to, you know. I said, well, I don't have one. He says, well, you need to get one. Hope I can be that one, but if not, I want to help you find one. But you need to get into a home church, son. Yeah, that cured me from that day on. I found myself a church. I stayed in it for 17 years, and then I started this one. My wife and I and a, a team of leaders. You know, we've been plugged in ever since. And before that, I was part of the Catholic Church for the first 18 years of my life, you know. But I'm, I'm here to say, look, no church is perfect. Find one. Get plugged in. And if you're plugged into a church, you can visit other churches. Not a problem, right? But if you're saying, I don't want to be plugged in, I'm not going to submit to elders and pastors, but I'm going to flow from church to church to church, I say churches just lock arms and tell those kind of people, no longer welcome. Can I hear an amen? Did I go too far? Okay, because I'm way over time, so let's end this. Father, we love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, come and be the Lord of our life. Rule and reign over us. Open up our eyes to understand spiritual warfare and how to be a good soldier for you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.